Ajanahi Labna Manas Janam Bahar on page 91. After making the promise, you forgot about it. It has become difficult to give the accounts of your deeds. You have forgotten the agreement. Attach your love in the feet of the Master. Finish the practice of being born and dying. Why do you, why do you stay away? Open your eyes and see the view. Within you is sitting the beloved Lord. This is, um, I think I may have forgotten to say the page number, but this is 91, page 91. Awake and be conscious. The lost time does not come back to one's hand. Kripal explains to Ajay, board the ship and sail across. You will not get the spring of the human birth again. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 91. Malika Pyara Uta 
के होश Listen with attention. It liberates you after going to the court. From within the true bani, the nectar flows. It enlivens the dead souls. One who digests the nectar is saved from the clutches of Kal. The kirtan of the bani is happening 24 hours a day. The mind doesn't listen as he has been sleeping for many births. Beloved Kripal came, he awoke Ajay. It is his grace. The true Bani is sounding within man. Without master, the recognition of the Bani does not come. Listen, O friend, the pot which has been made will finally break. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 208. Sachi Bani. Sachi bani andar hora hin san de Bina guru tona on di pachan ve Bina guru tona on di pachan ve Suni ve sajna Gariya jo banda heya kire bajana Sachi Bani Sachi Bani Andar Hora Hi Insan Day 
बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे सुनी वे सजना गाड़िया जो बंदा हे आखिर बाजना साची बानी बानी दूर सच खांड छोआवे रूहा सुतियानु आन जगावे बानी दूर सच खांड छोआवे रूहा सुतियानु आन जगावे सुनी प्यारिया जीन जीन सुनियो से थाई थारिया साची बानी साची बानी अंदर हो रही इंसान दे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे पहचान वे सुनी वे सजना गाड़िया जो बंदा है आखिर बजना साची बानी ए साचे गुरुआ दी है बानी एरत नी ए सचे गुरुआ दी है बानी ऐसा हेरत नी खानी सुन दिल लाई खे मुकत खारीदार गच जाई खे साची बानी साची बानी अंदर हो रही इंसान दे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे सुनी वे सजना गाड़िया जो बंदा है आखिर बाजना साची बानी साची बानी बिचो अमृत जारदा मुर्दारू हानु जिंदा खारदा साची बानी बिचो अमृत जारदा मुर्दारू जिंदा खारदा अमृत जिन फच जावे खाल देसी खांजे बिचो बाच जावे साची बानी साची बानी अंदर हो रही इंसान दे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे बिना गुरु थोना पहचान वे
सुनिवे सजना गाड़िया जो बंदा है आखेड़ बाजना राजी बानी कीर्तन बानी दातो फाहेर होड़ी हा सुंदर नहीं माने जान मतो सोड़ी हा कीर्तन बानी दातो फाहेर होड़ी हा सुंदर नहीं माने जान मतो सोड़ी हा आया किर पाल जानी अजायबनु जगाया ओडी मेहरा बानी साची बानी साची बानी अंदर हो रही इंसान दे बिना गुरु थोना ओंडी बिना गुरु थोना ओंडी पहचान वे सुनी वे सजना गाड़िया जो बंदा है आखिर बाजना साची बानी The true bani is sounding within man. Without master, the recognition of the bani does not come. Listen, O friend, the pot which has been made will finally break. Announcements, the bhajans will be at Sam and Patricia's on Thursday, and the Anurag Sagar study group will meet after satsang today. I want to begin today by reading actually a very famous letter of Baba Sawan Singh, whose birthday is coming up a couple of weeks. Letter on Karma. Uh, this is the version in Spiritual Gems which I am reading is not as complete as the version in St. Bonnie magazine, but it is. Um, covers the ground. Uh, there was an explanatory letter in addition to the essay on karma that came with this, which is not included in Spiritual Gems. It's letter number 20, and it is called Karma. The Supreme Creator and the individual spirit in the creation are connected together through the sound current. But Kao, also a creation of the Supreme Being, separates the individual from the current by coming in between as mind and forms. Hence, the individual feels disconnected, but not so the Creator. There are three minds, and corresponding to these three minds, are three kinds of forms. One, in Trakuti, the Nijman, the innermost or causal mind, or Brahm, or the universal mind, covers the spirit. The forms here are made of very pure Maya, 
so much so that a majority of the seekers have failed to see here the spirit apart from maya or mind and therefore considered Brahm as all-pervading, etc. Two, lower down in Sahasdalkamo, the forms of Trikuti get another covering of mind and form, both coarser than the above the astral form here being governed by the Andiman, astral mind. In this zone there are the hells and heavens and numerous other lokas or regions. Here the tendencies of the mind are directed inward and are elevating. This mind behaves like a wise enemy, seeking to keep us here. Three, further down in Pind, the region below the eyes, the astral form gets another covering of coarse material with which we are familiar. The mind that governs this form is called the Pindiman, physical or lower mind. Its tendencies are outward and diffusive, and it is most difficult to control. Now a body actuated by mind and spirit cannot help performing karma, and the karmic law, as you sow, so shall you reap, continues to work, and the account is complicated with time. The more one works, the greater the entanglement, like a bird struggling in the meshes of a net. So cunningly has Kal arranged the snare of forms and minds that it is well-nigh impossible for man to escape from their influence. No matter how good and godly we may be, that alone will not take us out of these regions. Says Lord Krishna, good actions are as much binding as bad actions. Good actions may be likened to fetters of gold and bad actions to those of iron, and both are equally efficient in keeping us tied. The escape is through the sound current. Only when the attention catches and follows the current does the mind become dormant and out of action. At all other times, when the attention is off the current, the mind gets the upper hand. Through long and indefinite time, ever since the spirit separated from its ocean and associated itself with the minds and bodies, not only has the upward passage been blocked, but the spirit has been so bewildered, entangled, and enfeebled that it has lost all memory of its home and is contented to live a wretched life in this wretched material world. There are two ways of looking at this creation. One, from the top, looking down, the creator's point of view, Two, from the bottom, looking up, man's point of view. From the top, it looks as though the Creator is all in all. He is the only doer, and the individual seems like a puppet tossed right and left by the wire puller. There seems to be no free will in the individual, and therefore no responsibility on his shoulder. It is his play. God's play. There is no why or wherefore. All the saints, when they, 
we come across variety as opposed to oneness. Everybody appears to be working with a will and is influenced by and is influencing others with whom he comes in contact. The individual thinks he is the doer and thereby becomes responsible for his actions and their consequences. All the actions are recorded in his mind and memory and cause likes and dislikes which keep him pinned down to the material, astral, or mental spheres according to his actions in an earlier life in the cycle of transmigration. The individual in these regions cannot help doing actions and having done them cannot escape their influences. The individual acts as the doer and therefore bears the consequences of his actions. As stated above, the observations differ on account of the difference in the angle of vision. Both are right. 1. The individual, clothed in coarse material form, sees only the external material forms. His sight does not go deeper than that. 2. If he were to rise up to Sahanstalkamal, the same individual would see the mind actuating all forms. The form would be only secondary. Mind would be the prime mover in all. 3. The same individual from Daswandwar will see the spirit current working everywhere and will see how the mind gets power from the spirit. 4. From such kind, the whole creation looks like bubbles forming and disappearing in the spiritual ocean. An individual is endowed with intelligence and does every action knowingly. It is therefore incumbent on him to find a way of escape from this entanglement. To raise his spirit, he must struggle against the mind, for he lives by struggle. And where there is a will, there is a way. He cannot say that this is no part of his duty. The karmas are also divided into three groups. One, kriyaman, or new actions. Two, pralabad, or fate, the portion of karmas allotted to this life as a result of our previous actions. Three, sanchit, or reserve. As an example, we take the case of a farmer. He prepares his land for sowing seed. He has the option to sow whatever he likes. Suppose he decides on wheat and sows it. The crop matures and he gathers it. Some of it he keeps for his consumption during the coming year and the surplus is put in store. Year after year, he is living on the previous year's gathering and increasing his reserve in store to be utilized in time of scarcity or need. You will see that he is living and hopes to live on what he himself sows and gathers. Similarly, whatever we do in this life becomes fate for our next life, and some of this is kept in reserve by Kal to be given to us if by any chance, of course these chances are practically nil, we run short of karma. Without karma, Kal cannot keep a spirit down in a body. And without a body, 
no karma can be performed. It is open to Kal to add from reserve to fate or deduct from Kriyaman for reserve. Like the farmer who is preparing his land for the coming season and is living on the gatherings from the last season with a confidence based on his reserve, we are undergoing our fate in which we have no choice. But we do have the choice to work anew as we please for our future. And we have a surplus, which is our reserve from past lives, of which we have now no knowledge. We are therefore at present doing a dual function. A. In regard to fate, we are helpless. But B. In new actions, we have a free hand to sow for the future. To distinguish between these two types by intelligence alone is not easy for the individual, but a rough rule may be laid down. That which comes in spite of our efforts and spontaneously is due to fate. But those whose attention is concentrated and who have access within can read their fate easily. It is an open book to them. Now, in the physical body, actions are done by the mind from the heart center. As long as the mind is centered here, in ordinary individuals, the heart is the center of mind action. It will be influenced by emotions. The sensations of joy and sorrow will be felt as the body is worked by mind from this center. When the mind has been elevated to the eye focus by concentration, in other words, when the mind has changed its seat or center from the heart to the eye center, then the feelings caused by outward influences working on the physical body will be felt imperceptibly. Joys of the world will not elate such a one, and its sorrows will not depress him. The fate actions are stored in the eight-petaled lotus in Anda above the eyes. Their influence is felt forcibly as long as that center has not been crossed. When that center is crossed and the master's astral form is seen, for that form resides there, the influence of the fate actions will be perceived nominally. The mind has then become strong and it has the power to bear them without effort. But fate cannot be effaced or altered. It will have to be undergone. An arrow, after leaving the bow, must find its mark. The reserve actions are stored at the top of Trakuti, and only when a spirit has crossed the third mind, or Trakuti, it is said to be free from all karma. Below this, the spirit suffers from the ills of karma. All actions are performed with a motive, and it is the motive that is binding. It is not easy to conceive of an action which is performed without a motive. The mind is consciously or subconsciously active, and it is ridiculous to talk of karma without a counter-karma. There is no escape from counter-karma. By doing actions, however good, there is no escape. Charity, offerings, or pilgrimages must bring their reward, and the soul doing these things must receive the reward 
in one body or another. The escape from karma lies in the protection afforded by saints. They are themselves karmaless. Their actions are not binding on them, for their spirits work from Daswandwar, a center above the three spheres of mind and forms, as stated above. The saints show us the way out. They say, let new actions be performed in the name of the Master, the individual working in the capacity of an agent only. The new actions done in this spirit will not be binding. The fate actions will have been undergone by the time the life comes to an end. The reserve actions saints partly take upon themselves and partly are undergone by the devotee as the saints think proper. Saints put the individual spirit in touch with the sound current, and as the spirit catches it and rises up, it throws off the influences of mind and matter and gets stronger and stronger. The more the individual works on these lines, the easier the path for him. Otherwise, the course becomes lengthy. But the saints are pledged to see him through after they have initiated a soul. The practice of sound current cuts the rest of karma. The current acts like a magnet on the spirit. It attracts the spirit to itself, and if the spirit were not covered by the rust of mind and matter, it would go up like a shot. The rust of attachments and impressions is removed by repetition, or simran. The repetition of thoughts of the journey within replaces our everyday thoughts. Then the mind, instead of wandering outside, begins to take rest and peace within. And when it goes in, the spirit also goes with it. And when the spirit is in, the current in its turn pulls it up. Once Trikuti has been crossed, this will only be when all karmic accounts are settled, the soul never goes back into transmigration. It will go up to merge in its origin. Uh, this letter covers a great deal of ground, and I do not want to necessarily follow up on everything that the letter states, although it is a very basic and important document, I think. But I want to... Lately I have been thinking a lot in terms of the spiritual revolution and of what the masters have always taught in connection with the way that karma works and the way out around it. Sawan Singh had a favorite statement which has been mentioned many times. Sanchi referred to it, Kripal referred to it, in Dr. Johnson's account of his stay with Sawan Singh with a great master in India, he refers to it very pointedly. Where there is love, there is no law. And it is, in the physical plane, it is the difference between the working of the positive power, the God of love and forgiveness, and the working of the negative power, who is the God of judgment and punishment and reward. Because we are so used to thinking in terms of punishment and reward 
and blame and responsibility, we are unable to appreciate that this is not the point of view of God. And because the negative and the positive powers are mixed up in all religious traditions, exoteric religious traditions, we become uh, very confused as to who is doing what. Sometimes even the words of the masters or the way the words of the masters have come to us partake of that confusion, although they don't if we really look into it. So I want to look at a few things. First of all, the master Rabia. Now, Rabia was a Muslim woman, Iraqi, a master of tremendous stature, tremendous influence on the subsequent Islamic mystical tradition or Sufi tradition. Master Kripal says at one point that she actually, many people think she is the founder of the Sufi tradition. Perhaps one of the greatest masters who have ever lived. And Rabia's understanding is that love is the core of the universe. This is what is reality. The judgment, the naming of blame, the labeling, defining, limiting, all of this is from the negative power. Love is from the positive power. And that is why when we live and act in such a way as to reflect the love and forgiveness that is coming to us from the Master, we are being his disciples. We are acting the way that he would have us act. And when we are assigning blame, insisting on getting exactly what is due us, and um, you know, labeling and defining who is responsible for what and, and exactly how everything works, we are doing the work of the negative power, the Lord of Judgment, Dharamrai, as he is called in the Anurag Saga and other places, which means literally the Lord of Judgment or Lord of Law. Where there is love, there is no law. And where there is love, there is no punishment or reward. There is only like attracting like. <coughs> Rabia used to say that she wanted... She wished she was going through the city of Basra, the town in southern Iraq where she lived, holding a bucket of water in one hand and a lighted torch in the other. And somebody said to her, what are you doing? What are you carrying those things for? And she said, I am planning to pour water on the fires of hell and to burn down paradise because to do devotion from either love, um, excuse me, hope of reward or fear of punishment is not pleasing to God. We should do devotion only because we love God, not because we want to get this or that or because we're afraid of this or that. This is the attitude that is characteristic of the true masters who are incarnations of the positive power, the God of love. And this is the attitude that is characteristic of those disciples who are called Gurumuks, 
who accurately reflect what the Master is giving to us, goes through us and becomes part of the manifestation of our lives in the lives of others. To the degree that we do that, to the degree that we reflect love, forgiveness, mercy, and non-judgment in our lives, to that degree are we Guru Moksha. And this is the definition of a Guru Moksha, that he has understood what the Master wanted in this regard and has done it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Lord Jesus refers to false prophets. And I would point out that if we study the sermon carefully and the writings of the Masters carefully, there are a lot of warnings about false prophets. But if we look at it, we will see that the false prophet that is most dangerous is the prophet who doesn't know what we have just been saying and who preaches something that works the other way. The prophet who demands that we fight somebody or go against somebody or prevent somebody forcibly from doing something or control others or reap the reward, take from others what they have done. These things, which many of which are you know, basic to the arsenal of most religious faiths, you know, we have to oppose evil. We have to uh, fight the people who are we see as bad. We have to um, define our lives in terms of that fight. We find this everywhere. It's all pervading. There's something to it. If we go deep enough, it's certainly possible to see that this is the teaching of the Master in some sense. But taken as it is usually taken in connection with the institutional morality of the world, um, it falls very far short of what is required for us to make any kind of real change. It is definitely a part of the karmic law. The, the karmic law works on our desires and fears. And as it has often been said, the Masters have pointed out that whatever is uppermost in our thoughts when we die that determines what happens to us next time around. It's not that anything is imposed on us. It's not even that we are punished directly, although there certainly are elements of that in the way the law works. But it is the what we want that we are given. Therefore, it is said, as we think, so we become. And... You know, the Lord gives whatever we ask for. It's um, up to us. And this is what Samhain Singh is maintaining in that letter, you see. That looking at it from the point of view that we are used to, the point of view of struggle, strife, getting the best from others, always getting the best advantage for ourselves of any situation we are in, this is being the disciple of the negative power, the disciple of Kao. While not doing that, looking at it from the point of view that all human beings are infinitely worthwhile, they are reflections and images of God. As the Bible says, Genesis 127, 
God made man in his own image, male and female created he him. All human beings, male, female, are all made in God's image. There is no human being that does not reflect the image of God. If, if there was, there wouldn't be a human being. There would be something else. Because that is the definition of a human being according to the Bible and according to the testimony of all the Masters. So these things, I, it seems to me anyway, I, you know, you ponder this stuff, and I have thought about this for years, of course, but it does seem to me that this is um, getting close to the essence of both the spiritual revolution and the esoteric tradition as it has come down to us down through the centuries, that uh, we differentiate between the law of judgment and, if we want to call it as such, the law of grace. Master Kripal used to use those terms. There is a law of judgment, he would say, and a law of grace. And, you know, we all think that it is fair to... Uh, come under the law of judgment. We think that without really going into it. But in fact, none of us is capable of withstanding the results of our own actions without such tremendous suffering that we are greatly dependent on the law of grace. Master Kripal used to tell the story of, um, there was an ascetic, he was a Muslim ascetic, a fakir, who was doing meditation in the desert. And he had, uh, there was no food or water around. He was very, he wanted to do devotion out there. And so God took pity on him. He saw that he had neither food nor water, so he created a pomegranate tree which grew next to his hut and arranged it so that that pomegranate tree brought forth one fruit a day, every day throughout the years. And as Master used to say when he told this story, no tree brings forth one fruit a day, day in and day out, year after year. But this tree did. And he also created a spring of water, which was um, near the house. So the man was able to eat the pomegranate and drink the water. And as Master says, thus he passed his days. And then when his end time came, he died. He went before the Lord of Judgment, and the Lord of Judgment looked at his uh, record and said, well, you are forgiven as a matter of grace only. Actually, it wasn't, could not have been the Lord of Judgment per se who said that. It was the true God who was behind that, of course. And the uh, hermit said, grace? I'm forgiven as grace, the kind of life I have lived? I have done so many penances and austerities. I have spent so much time in meditation. I have foregone all pleasures. Why am I forgiven as a matter of grace only? And God said, well, let's see. He said, uh, you were given a tree with a pomegranate every day, and you were given a spring of water, neither of which was there before. These were given to you in direct compensation for all the good things you have done. Now let's see what else you have done. You have trampled on this many insects without noticing. You have done this or that. Uh, you will have to be trampled on uh, 
each time, once for each time you did it. And he goes on like that, and the man says, okay, okay, wait, I'll, I'll, I'll accept the forgiveness by grace, it's all right. <laughs> and that's the way we're at. We um, are very grateful to be forgiven ourselves, but we are not necessarily so willing to see it unless it's pointed out to us like that. And this is why, you see, it's like when we forgive others, we did a few a series of satsangs on forgiveness, um, but when we do, when we practice forgiveness in our own life and non-judgment, which is a kind of a negative form of forgiveness, when we reflect, in other words, the love of God, the love that is the core of the universe, it, then we are showing who we are the disciples of. And this is why the differentiation between true and false prophets is made so starkly. That a false prophet, by in, this, in these terms, there may be other ways to define these things too, but the, the false prophets that are often the ones that are described are those people who, in the name of God, demand from us that we act like Kao, that we do what Kao does, that we hold people accountable for things, whether they are or not, actually, because we can't tell, always. Kao can tell, but we can't. And um, We show where our heart is by our actions. And that initiation begins to get speeded up. And some of it he takes on himself, and some of it we have to undergo. And if we undergo some particularly difficult fate karma before we are able to see how it works, that can be very difficult. The suffering can be enormous. But the fact is that once we understand how love works and how forgiveness And that is the you know, the underlying point behind those four points of view that Samhain Singh talks about, the point of view from the physical plane, from the astral plane, from the causal plane, and from the pure spiritual plane. Each of those points of view is different. Each of them includes more of the whole, but the pure spiritual plane encompasses everything else. But most people are stuck at least on the first two, there's other ways to understand those points of view also. There are William Blake, the great English poet and mystic, spoke of them not so much as regions, and of course Samhain Singh is not talking about them as regions uh, in that when he cited that. But he is talking about them as angles of vision, which he specifically states. So when we... Um, can break through, you might say, and 
see things from the point of view higher than the one we are accustomed to, that the ultimate meaning of that, the ultimate effect of that, is that love begins to work through us. Because the further we go, the closer we get to love. Uh, Blake called them uh, Olro, Generation, Beulah, and Eden. He had his own language for many things. He understood, however, an enormous amount. And um, he defined Olro as self-obsession. Okay, we are obsessed with self, and we uh, really have heart, almost no room in our minds to be aware even of anyone else, let alone God. All we care for is our own, the fulfillment of our own desires and the assuaging of our own fears. This is where we're at. Generation is the normal, I mean, this, this is obviously almost a psychotic position. We recognize that people who are in Olro, there's something wrong with them, but it's still a great many people are in that place and have no idea that they are like that. Generation, which is the Andiman point of view, is the point of view of being aware of others and relating to them the way that most of us do relate, give and take, uh, through desire, sexual, financial, or otherwise. Um, and basically, although we don't use other people only for our own point of view, that's always a factor. And this, this, the sense that we are getting something from them, and if we don't, we're going to forget about them, is always there. Beulah is the breaking through into the third plane, or the causal plane aspect, in which we do see, as Samhain Singh says in the letter, we see the spirit working the mind. You know, we don't exactly see from the point of view of the spirit, but we get a sense that there is something infinitely more than we have ever allowed for that is behind all this. And then Eden is the point of view of God, bubbles rising and falling in the spiritual ocean. Um, the philosopher Uspensky, whom I studied a lot and who is very important to me at many, uh, he was very important to me at one period of my life, his books were enormously helpful to me, and I've always read him. He had a, a different ter terminology for these same points of view. He called them, there are four methods of knowing in his terms, inferior, logical, psychological, and esoteric. And the inferior method he compared to a person looking through a keyhole into a room and assuming that because what he sees there he sees that that's the whole reality, that he is an accurate understanding of the room. The logical method he compared to a person opening the door of the room and looking in. And in that way, he gets a much better sense of the room, but he still is not in it. The psychological method is the person walking into the room, turning around, noticing what it's like when you're inside it and how it affects you, and seeing the various things in the room, how they relate to each other, etc. But the esoteric method, or we can say the truly spiritual method, is to see the room in context of the house, and the house in context of the city, and the city in the context of the country, and so on, as far out as we want to go. The more we see, the more we understand what each little part of the whole W-H-O-L-E that we can see means. And in 
common psychological terms, this works via using love as our the way we relate to the universe as opposed to judgment. This is the crucial distinction between the positive and the negative power. And any esoteric system that is really esoteric, that really comes from a higher source, that really understands the human condition, and there are many, many names for different traditions and systems that do that, any system like that is um, going to understand this distinction, and if it doesn't, it's false. And that's why the people who teach a kind of religious point of view that does not involve relating to love or relating through love and manifesting love and not depending on judgment and reward, that system is um, a false system. It is not truly esoteric. And this is where all religious traditions, you know, every religious tradition that we know of has an esoteric dimension. Master Kripal, Sanchi, Sawan Singh all made this very clear. The path is everywhere, and it exists in every religious tradition, including the obscure and the outdated ones, so-called, the ones that were replaced long ago. They all understand these things. Somebody does. Some people do within them. God is not partial. One religious system as made by us is not better than another. But what all of those traditions, it is very easy to forget this. So it is very common for them to uh, somehow or other twist things around so that it becomes a good thing to do exactly what is bad. Dostoevsky, the great Russian novelist, in his wonderful book, The Brothers Karamazov, possibly the greatest novel ever written, uh, makes this point so clearly in several ways. This is what the book is basically about. His, his saint character, Father Zosima, the Russian starets or elder, who is uh, the holy man and whom the protagonist of the book is a disciple of, <coughs> demonstrates this too. But uh, it is most clearly stated in the story that one brother tells to the other brother, namely the story of the Grand Inquisitor and how the Inquisition and the Inquisitor and the institutional church has corrected Christ's work and have, have understood that in order for it to work in this world, they have to punish, reward, frighten, intimidate, and uh, force. And this is, of course, exactly what Christ did not teach, or any master for that matter. So this is, to say this is important stuff is um, somewhat of an understatement. It is, I th it is my opinion that it is the most important thing in the world to grasp this, that it is the essence of the spiritual revolution. It is the underlying thing that the masters come to, to give us. They come to give us a method to do it, which is what we call the path, and they come to show us how to do it, um, which is why they teach with authority and not as the scribes. But they also, this is the, the substance 
of their presentation of the basic facts of life to us. This is a famous parable from the Gospel of Matthew, and um, I have read this number of times in satsang. But it is to read it for the first time. I've sometimes read this in class, religions class, and other classes that I have done. And the kids who are in the class, many of them are not familiar with the Bible. They never heard this story before. You know, they gasp. They say, my God, that's something. Wow. That's the effect of it. If we're familiar with it, of course, it doesn't have that effect. But think of what this story tells and what the implications are. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. And some uh, manuscripts read seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents, which by modern figures is nine million dollars. It's an incredible amount for a slave to owe his master, and it is, you know, it's deliberately fantastic. Nine million dollars was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him that debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is fifteen dollars by modern reckoning. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. The exact words, of course, that he had used. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, when he says that the Lord handed him over, this is, of course, the God of love does not torture anybody. But if we act in such a way as to refuse the power of love in our own lives, then we make ourselves susceptible to that power which does torture, among other things, also rewards, namely the Lord of Judgment or the negative power. And this is the true, if we see this, you see, if we realize, Jesus is saying, if you owe $9 million to somebody and you're forgiven, why can't you forgive the lousy $15 that somebody owes you? And what does it matter? And yet in life, so many times, we think and we can't help it. It's ingrained in us. We think, I must get what is due me. I must get what is due me. 
I must have it. And we don't realize that if we do that, we are going to um, be subject to the same treatment from others. That we are cutting off, in other words, the ability of the power of love to work through us. And it's not going to happen the way it ought to happen. We are, in other words, preventing the Master from working, which is perhaps the heaviest karma of all, and it results in our being treated as though he weren't there, because we refuse to let him in. Not that ultimately, I mean, Master forgives. He will forgive us forever and ever, and ultimately he will forgive everybody. Um, the path is universal, and people are um, people are every single human being in the world, every single life form in the world eventually will be a human being, will eventually come into the presence of God and will be subject to and will voluntarily submit to the power of love. But it's a, in the other way, forgiveness is not the only way in which this manifests, forgiveness or its refusal. It also is, is manifested in the way in which we relate to things. Uh, part of the nature of love is to be okay with it. When we try to control things, to force, this is true on any level really, then we are opening up the possibility and the probability of that same control and force being applied to us. It's like the more we go out on a limb, do not accept the negative power's ways as our ways, accept instead the love of God as our ways. The more we do that, the more we are open ourselves to that power working in us so that it becomes self-fulfilling. The more we do it, the more we are able to do it. That is why Master used to say, if you give a little bit of love, do you find that you have less love in your heart? On the contrary, you are conscious of an ever greater power of loving. And that's the way it works. In the um, profound theological treatise called Tick-Tock of Oz, by the way, this is the, I think, the seventh, uh, the eighth or ninth Oz book, this is dealt with extremely profoundly in that the heroes, the characters who are adventuring, are thrown by the gnome king down a tube through the center of the earth so that they come out on the other side. And on the other side of the earth, the other side from the part where Oz and the land of Ev and the gnome king's place are, is a land in which there is no love or mercy there is only justice and fairness. Everyone in that land is a king, and the land is ruled by a private citizen, who is the only one who has power. And the private citizen has no heart, no forgiveness, no mercy, but he is absolutely fair. He is known throughout the world that he gives punishment exactly as it's due, no more and no less. He is not capable of doing anything else. Uh, 
that when the adventurers find that they are in the land of the private citizen, Tiridi Huchu he's called, um, the great Jinjin, they, uh, they turn white. They fall to their knees, they shake and tremble because they suddenly realize that they're going to be held accountable for everything they've done. And there's no way out. And uh, he eventually deals with them so fairly that they are not blamed because it wasn't their fault. And he understands that very clearly. But he takes action against the person who threw them down the hole. Um, this is the way the negative power works. The negative power has no love or forgiveness, but he is absolutely fair once you grant the basic conditions. The, uh, if you posit the law of karma and a world in which karma prevails, then uh, you can say that yes, within those perimeters, the lord of karma is absolutely fair and just. He's not evil. If torture happens, it happens only in proportion to the suffering that we have caused. Uh, no one is ever tortured for no reason, etc. We've always, we all are paying back what we have paid. But the fact is that none of us will ever get out of it as long as it remains in those terms. What has to happen is the subversion of the world of Kyle. And this is done through the spiritual revolution or the replacing of justice and punishment and reward by forgiveness and love, by God to us and by us to God. There are two things I want to mention in connection with this. Um, one is from the Kabbalah. Some of us have been studying the Anurag Sagar, and in the Anurag Sagar, the nature of Kal is gone into very carefully. Um, the same concept is found in the Jewish mystical tradition called the Kabbalah, which is another way in which the path is manifested. In Gershom Sholem's book, Major Trends in Jewish Mysticism, he writes this. Well, wait a minute, before I read that, let me read the, the preliminary to it. Inherent in the concept of the negative power is the factor of judgment. And involved with that are many other concerns, such as time, worry, and fear. All of them are connected in the Indian tradition. In the ocean of love, the Anurag Sagar of Kabir, the negative power is called time, or Kal, and it is explained that when the positive power created the universe by separating various parts of himself from himself, allowing scope for the universe to be created, the one became many. When that happened, time, or Kal, who became the Lord of Judgment, was not able to stand by himself, and he fell. This created the negative, fallen universe in which we are trapped. This teaching is universal. In the Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition which shares many basic tenets with Saint Mat, the great master Isaac Luria was, like Jesus, a Jewish master who taught within the worldview of Judaism. Luria developed the system called the Lurianic Kabbalah, based on the great Kabbalistic scripture, the Zohar, in which the doctrine of God separating himself is known as Tzimtzum. 
Luria taught that before that happened, when all aspects of God were within God, the negative power was not negative. When they were separated out, in order for creation to begin, the negative fell. In the Lurianic Kabbalah, he is called by the Hebrew term Din, which means judgment, a comparable term to Dharamrai, the Lord of Judgment, which is also used in the Anurag Sagar for Kal. In Gershom Sholem's book, we read, As I have already said, the doctrine of Tzimtzum played an extremely important part in the development of Lurianic thought, and new attempts to formulate it were made continuously. The history of this idea from Luria down to our own days would give a fascinating picture of the development of original Jewish mystical thought. Here I must content myself in stressing one more aspect which Luria himself undoubtedly regarded as highly important. According to this, the essence of the divine being, before the Tzimtzum took place, contained not only the qualities of love and mercy, but also that of divine sternness, which the Kabbalists call din, or judgment. But din was not recognizable as such. It was, as it were, dissolved in the great ocean of God's compassion, like a grain of salt in the sea. In the act of Tzimtzum, however, it crystallized and became clearly defined, for inasmuch as Tzimtzum signifies an act of negation and limitation, it is also an act of judgment. It must be remembered that to the Kabbalist, judgment means the imposition of limits and the correct determination of things. According to Cordovero, the quality of judgment is inherent in everything insofar as everything wishes to remain what it is, to stay within its boundaries. Hence, it is precisely in the existence of individual things that the mystical category of judgment plays an important part. As long as we are content to stay in our boundaries, as we are, uh, as we want, I shouldn't use the word content there because uh, contentment would involve not staying within our boundaries, but as long as we want to remain in our boundaries, to remain limited, to remain definable by things like karma, then um, we are under the influence of judgment. The Lurianic teaching is the same as that of the Anurag Sagar. If we understand that that quality of defining and limitation is precisely what Kal uses to keep us all as individuals, then to transcend the limits of the three worlds means also to transcend the boundaries of the individual. Such transcendence means to get past the possibility of judgment and the realm of time. All these limits work for the negative power, and when the positive power invades the fallen universe, he does so not by imitating the work or function or role of the negative power, but by doing his own thing. He loves, he forgives, he has mercy. His way is the only one that can succeed. He washes away the judgment in the same way the judgment was originally washed away in the sea that was the undifferentiated God before the creation took place. All this can be reasonably thought of as abstract, but in fact, the Master's teachings in general and the Sermon on the Mount in particular offer overwhelming testimony to the fact that it isn't really abstract 
at all. In our daily life, we are constantly making choices as to whether we are going to partake of the negative or partake of the positive. If we define a gurumukh as one who, without hesitation and without worrying, instinctively chooses the positive, we can quickly understand that most of us are manmukhs. It is, however, in making these choices that changes can occur. And to illustrate that, I want to read um, a very famous story that Sanchi used to tell. Which illustrates this um, perhaps better than um, any other story. And it illustrates how the positive power works when it comes into contact with the negative. Actually, all masters have told many stories that do that. But this one is particularly relevant. Remember, too, that when Master Kripal used to talk about this in some aspects, he would say, like, if you oppose something, if you fight against something, you strengthen it. This is the basic truth behind the reality of nonviolence. You strengthen it because you put your attention onto it. You fight against it, but all the attention you bring to it makes it stronger, and it becomes bigger, and you have to fight harder and harder, and eventually you have become what you are fighting against, which is why the way of violence is inherently useless. He would say, for example, there are people in the temperance society who preach, don't drink, don't drink, and yet they drink all the time. He said, because they're thinking all the time about drink. Don't is there, but drink is also there. Both are there. So when we oppose, we are really strengthening. This is why when I first met Sanchi the very first time, and he referred to the letter I had written in which I was finding fault with somebody else, whom people looked to as a master and was criticizing and judging him, he said he was very surprised to see that letter, the letter that Russell wrote, because it had nothing to do with Sant Nat. Nothing to do with Sant Nat. I think of all the things that Sanchi's ever said to me and all the time that I spent with him through all the years, nothing has had the resonance or the impact of that those very few words which he said within two minutes of our meeting each other for the first time has nothing to do with Sant Mat because Sant Mat is not about opposing or fighting anything. It is about understanding that love is the core of the universe and conforming to that. Okay, this is the story. Sanchi tells this, and this is, I will close with this. There is an instance in the history of the king of Rum. When he was talking once to the people in his court, a question came up about patience and contentment. That king asked his people, what does it mean to be patient, to be content? He had so many people in his court who were very wise and learned, and they all tried to answer that question according to their own intelligence, but the king was not convinced. So he called his prime minister and asked him about it. Tell me, what is the meaning of patience? The prime minister tried to explain to him about patience and contentment, but the king was not satisfied. He asked him, who can give the answer to this question? Then he himself told the prime minister, I have heard that in the country of India, Rum is actually a part of what we now call Turkey or Asia Minor. 
it was uh, the name means Rome, and it was the part of Asia Minor that was historically ruled by Rome. It was referred to by people in the Middle East as Rome for a long time. Um, and as and of course, much of it was connected to what we call the Byzantine Empire and then the Ottoman Empire. But both of those were successors of the Roman Empire. And he himself told the Prime Minister, I have heard that in the country of India, there is a very mighty emperor whose name is Aurangzeb. He is a very wise and learned emperor, and he has many good people in his court. It is possible that if you go there and ask him about this, he would be able to give you the answer. But you should come back only when you are convinced, and only when you feel that you can convince me. In case they cannot answer this question, you should try to find a fakir who lives in India, whose name is Samad. I have heard that he is a fakir of the highest degree, and he will be able to answer this question. So you go to India and find out the answer and tell me what is the meaning of being patient and what it means to be content. So the Prime Minister came to India and met with Aurangzeb and asked him the question about patience and contentment. Aurangzeb was very learned, and he tried to explain to him, but he could not give the exact answer which the Prime Minister was looking for to take back to his king. Then he talked with the other people there, but he was not convinced by them either, even though everybody tried his best to explain patience and contentment to the Prime Minister. So then he asked the people about the whereabouts of the Fakir Samad, but they told him, Aurangzeb is a very strict, religious-minded person, and he has not allowed any fakir or saint to live outside. He has put them all in jail. And this, of course, from the point of view of the story, Aurangzeb and Samad are seen as examples of the way that religion works through the negative power and the positive power, respectively. And like Dostoevsky's Grand Inquisitor, Aurangzeb is correcting the work of Mohammed, you might say or Rabia, or Rumi, or any other Islamic saint. Um, and it is the difference between power and love, which the king of Rum was aware of both of them, but probably not able to differentiate that clearly, which many of us are not. And it is very difficult to find out exactly where he is. Well, wherever he is, he's in bad condition. He doesn't have any clothes to wear, he doesn't get good food to eat, he gets only one cup of water to drink a day, and he gets only a few bad chapatis to eat every day. But it will be difficult to find him. Still, since the Prime Minister had the job of finding the Fakir Samad and getting the answer to his king's question, he went on trying to find him, and you know that when you are devoted to something and work hard for it, you definitely achieve success. Actually, Samad was in jail uh, largely, although many other masters of that era were in jail under Aurangzeb too, because he was a fanatical Muslim in the exoteric sense. The Sufis made him uneasy. But Samad, of course, had been the guru of his brother, Darashiko, who was going to originally be the successor to Shah Jahan. And when uh, Shah Jahan died, Aurangzeb made a coup d'etat and uh, eliminated Darashiko, and he blamed Samad for putting ideas into his mind and put him in jail. Samad was a Jewish master who came out of the Sufi tradition. Ethnically and traditionally, religiously, he was Jewish, 
but this tradition that he learned from, his guru, etc., were Sufis. Still, since the Prime Minister had the job of finding the Fakir Samad and getting the answer to his king's question, he went on trying to find him. And you know that when you are devoted to something and work hard for it, you definitely achieve success. So he finally found Samad in a very dark cell. He was naked, and as the people had told him, he was in poor, very poor condition. Before he could talk to him, he saw a person who had been sent by the emperor who, without giving any alarm or explanation, suddenly started beating Samad. He whipped him, but Samad did not sigh or complain. He just patiently suffered whatever was going on there. Then the prime minister saw that somebody brought a cup of water and a dry chapati which was not of good quality and had only one small piece of salt on it. Sarmad accepted that in the will of God and with a lot of contentment he ate the chapati. Then the prime minister of Rum asked Sarmad his question, tell me what is the meaning of patience and what is the meaning of being content? Sarmad said, I will reply to this tomorrow. When you come tomorrow, bring a big sheet and a leather bag full of water. Then I will answer your question. So the next day, the Prime Minister of Rum took a lot of water in a big sheet of cloth to Samad, who, with his gracious sight, opened the door of that prison and allowed the Prime Minister to come into his cell. Samad took a bath with the water which the Prime Minister had brought, and after that he covered himself with that sheet of cloth which the Prime Minister had brought for him, and then he sat in meditation. He also made that Prime Minister sit in meditation, and with his grace he took the soul of the Prime Minister up into the court of the Lord. There the Prime Minister saw that Samad was with the other souls who had reached the home of the Lord, and all those great souls were asking Samad, if you tell us, we can destroy Aurangzeb and his kingdom because he is giving you a hard time. But Samad the Fakir was folding his hands to all those great souls and saying, No, don't do any harm to Aurangzeb or to his people. Just forgive him because he does not know what he is doing. The Prime Minister of Rum was very surprised to see that even though Samad was almighty and had all the powers of God, Still, he had so much patience in the will of God that he did not want anyone to do any harm to Aurangzeb, even though Aurangzeb was giving him a lot of suffering. When the Prime Minister of Rum saw the real glory and the real position of Samad the Fakir there, he was very moved. And when Samad brought him down, he told him, Now you have the answer to your question. If you have all things given to you by Almighty God, but you do not use your power, that means being content in the will of God. And even though you are able to do everything, if you do not do anything to hurt others, that means to be patient in the will of God. So the story, I think, sums up this lesson as well as anything. And um, Samad, of course, had all power. It is not the real practitioners of this sort of thing are not people who don't have power and who, um, so they say, I didn't want it anyway. They are people who have power, but who choose not to use it. Therefore, if we also see that in a certain situation we do have power over somebody else, we can control things, it remains to 
be seen if we are following the master or cow by how we use that power and whether or not we force our will on others. Okay, well, the tape is um, from the St. Bonnie, July 1996 tour, The Fire of Yearning. परम पिता परमात्मा सावन कृपाल दे चरणा दे विच नमस्कार है जिन्ना ने गरीब आत्मा ते रहम करके आप दा जश करन दा मौका देता है सैल्यूटेशन टू द फीट ऑफ सुप्रीम फादर्स लॉर्ड अलमाइटी सावन एंड कृपाल हु हैविंग मर्सी ऑन द पुअर सोल्स हैव गिवन द अपॉर्चुनिटीज टू सिंग देयर ग्लोरी मेरी सदा ही उस परमात्मा कृपाल दे चरणा विच अरदास रही है वो कृपाल वो शब्द रूप जो कण-कण दे विच व्यापक है जद शरीर करके मेनू नहीं मिलया सीगा तद भी यही अरदास थी के जीनू परमात्मा कहंदे है सब दी संभाल वाला कर कहंदे है संभाल करने वाला कहंदे है अगर किते हैं तू मेनू मेल मेरा दुनिया दे किसे कर्म धर्म दे विच यकीन नहीं रहा हे परमात्मा कृपाल तू मेनू अपना नाम बख्श दे ओ नाम जेड़ा पापियां नु पुन्नी बनाउंदा है जेड़ा पापियां नु तारदा है ओ नाम जेड़ा कण-कण दे विच व्यापक है इट हैज ऑलवेज बीन माय प्रेयर एट द फीट ऑफ ऑलमाइटी लॉर्ड सुप्रीम फादर लॉर्ड कृपाल even before I met him physically, <clears throat> this had been my prayer, and I had always prayed that, O oh Lord, if you exist, they say that you are omnipotent, you are all-pervading, you are the form of the Shabbat, and you protect everyone, you liberate everyone. If you are somewhere, kindly come and meet me and give me the Naam, give me that Naam which turns the sinners into the righteous people, which liberates those souls who are <clears throat> drowning in this ocean of life. So, O oh Lord Kripal, if you are somewhere, if there is anyone, you should come and you should meet me and you should give me your holy naam. Bainti ar ardaas devich badi pari shakti hindi hai. Agar sache dilon, sikh, bainti kare, pokar kare, o darga devich jiroor osna guru sunda hai. There is a great power in making the request and offering a prayer to the Master. If a disciple makes the prayer request the Master with sincerity, with sincere heart, definitely his Master listens to and answers his prayers in the court of Lord. Lekan jadi pakar hai, jadi ardaas hai, e ucchi, suchi, honi chahidi hai, guru to guru nu hi sikh mangda hai, ode vich, ਹੋਮੈ ਹੰਕਾਰ ਦੀ ਲੇਸ ਨਹੀਂ ਹੁੰਦੀਗੀ ਉਹ ਜਿਹੜੀ ਅਰਦਾਸ ਹੈ ਗੁਰੂ ਸੁਣਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਆਤਮਾ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚੋਂ ਅਰਦਾਸ ਨਿਕਲਦੀ ਹੈ ਬਟ ਦ ਰਿਕੁਐਸਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਪ੍ਰੇਅਰ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਬੀ ਆਫ ਦ ਹਾਈਐਸਟ ਨੇਚਰ ਇਟ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਬੀ ਓਨਲੀ ਫਾਰ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਅ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਓਨਲੀ ਆਸਕ ਫਾਰ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਫਰਮ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਹੀ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਨਾਟ ਹੈਵ ਐਨੀ ਈਗੋਇਜ਼ਮ ਹੀ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਨਾਟ ਹੈਵ ਐਨੀ ਟ੍ਰੇਸ ਆਫ ਦ ਵਰਲਡਲੀ ਥਿੰਗਸ ਇਨ ਇਟ ਐਂਡ ਸਚ ਅ ਰਿਕੁਐਸਟ ਔਰ ਸਚ ਅ ਪ੍ਰੇਅਰ ਸ਼ੁੱਡ ਕਮ ਆਊਟ from the soul of the disciple and the master always listens to and answers the prayers which come out from the soul of the disciple. 
ਸੱਚਾ ਜਿਹੜਾ ਸਿੱਖ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਕਦੇ ਵੀ ਆਪ ਦੇ ਤਨ ਦੌਲਤ ਦਾ ਮਾਨ ਨਹੀਂ ਕਰਦਾਗਾ ਇਲਮ ਜਾਂ ਹੁਨਰ ਦਾ ਮਾਨ ਨਹੀਂ ਕਰਦਾਗਾ ਉਹ ਆਪਣੇ ਆਪ ਨੂੰ ਆਪਣੇ ਗੁਰੂ ਦੇ ਅੱਗੇ ਨਮਾਣਾ ਨਤਾਣਾ ਆਜਿਜ ਹੋ ਕੇ ਰਹਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਹਦਾ ਦਾਸਾਂ ਦਾ ਵੀ ਦਾਸ ਬਣ ਕੇ ਰਹਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਅ ਟਰੂ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਇਜ਼ ਨੈਵਰ ਪ੍ਰਾਊਡ ਆਫ ਹਿਸ ਵੈਲਥ ਹੀ ਨੈਵਰ ਹੈਜ਼ ਐਨੀ ਪ੍ਰਾਈਡ ਹੀ ਨੈਵਰ ਟੇਕਸ ਐਨੀ ਪ੍ਰਾਈਡ ਐਂਡ ਹੀ ਇਜ਼ ਨੈਵਰ ਪ੍ਰਾਊਡ ਆਫ ਐਨੀ ਵਰਲਡਲੀ ਨੋਲੇਜ ਆਰ ਦ ਲਰਨਿੰਗ ਹੀ ਅਸੈਡ ਇਨ ਫਰੰਟ ਆਫ ਹਿਸ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਹੀ ਇਜ਼ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਵੈਰੀ ਹੰਬਲ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਬਿਹੇਵਸ ਲਾਈਕ ਅ ਵੈਰੀ ਸਮਾਲ ਵਨ ਮੀਕ ਵਨ ਹੀ ਅੰਡਰਸਟੈਂਡਸ ਹਿਮਸੈਲਫ ਐਜ਼ ਦ ਸਰਵੈਂਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਰਵੈਂਟਸ ਆਫ ਹਿਸ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਗੁਰੂ ਦਾ ਸੱਚਾ ਸਿੱਖ ਕਦੇ ਵੀ ਆਪ ਦੇ ਗੁਣਾ ਕੰਨੀ ਨਹੀਂ ਵੇਂਦਾ ਨਾ ਆਪ ਦੇ ਗੁਣਾ ਦੀ ਨਮਾਇਸ਼ ਕਰਦਾ ਹੈ ਬਲਕਿ ਉਹ ਆਪ ਦੇ ਔਗਣਾ ਦੀ ਤਰਫ ਦੇਖਦਾ ਹੈ ਅ ਟਰੂ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਨੈਵਰ ਲੁਕਸ ਐਟ ਹਿਸ ਕੁਆਲਿਟੀਜ਼ ਹੀ ਨੈਵਰ ਐਗਜ਼ਿਬਿਟਸ ਹਿਸ ਗੁੱਡ ਕੁਆਲਿਟੀਜ਼ ਇਨ ਫਰੰਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਅਦਰ ਪੀਪਲ ਇਨ ਫੈਕਟ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਲੁਕਸ ਐਟ ਹਿਸ ਮਿਸਟੇਕਸ ਐਂਡ ਸ਼ਾਰਟਕਮਿੰਗਸ ਸੱਚੇ ਸਿੱਖ ਦੀ ਨਿਗਾਹ ਤਬਦੀਲ ਹੋ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਦੀਆਂ ਕਮਜ਼ੋਰੀਆਂ ਨਹੀਂ ਦੇਖਦਾ ਆਪ ਦੀਆਂ ਕਮਜ਼ੋਰੀਆਂ ਦੇਖਦਾ ਹੈ ਔਰ ਉਹ ਕਮਜ਼ੋਰੀਆਂ ਦੂਰ ਕਰਨ ਵਾਸਤੇ ਆਪਣੇ ਗੁਰੂ ਦੇ ਅੱਗੇ ਸੱਚੇ ਦਿਲੋਂ ਫਰਿਆਦ ਕਰਦਾ ਹੈ ਰਜੋਈ ਕਰਦਾ ਹੈ ਦ ਵਿਜ਼ਨ ਆਫ ਦ ਟਰੂ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਗੈਟਸ ਚੇਂਜ ਹੀ ਨੈਵਰ ਲੁਕਸ ਐਟ ਦ ਫਾਲਸ ਐਂਡ ਦ ਸ਼ਾਰਟਕਮਿੰਗਸ ਆਫ ਦ ਪੀਪਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਵਰਲਡ ਇਨਸਟੈਡ ਹੀ ਲੁਕਸ ਐਟ ਹਿਸ ਓਨ ਫਾਲਸ ਐਂਡ ਹਿਸ ਮਿਸਟੇਕਸ ਐਂਡ ਇਨ ਆਰਡਰ ਟੂ ਰਿਮੂਵ ਦੋਸ ਸ਼ਾਰਟਕਮਿੰਗਸ ਐਂਡ ਮਿਸਟੇਕਸ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਮੇਕਸ ਦ ਪ੍ਰੇਅਰ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਰਿਕਵੈਸਟ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਹੰਬਲੀ ਐਂਡ ਆਸਕ ਫਾਰ ਹਿਸ ਗ੍ਰੇਸ ਸੋ ਥੈਟ ਹੀ ਕੈਨ ਰਿਮੂਵ ਹਿਸ ਮਿਸਟੇਕਸ ਜਿਵੇਂ ਇੱਕ ਮਰੀਜ਼ ਡਾਕਟਰ ਦੇ ਅੱਗੇ ਆਪਣੀ ਬਿਹਤਰੀ ਵਾਸਤੇ ਫਰਿਆਦ ਕਰਦਾ ਹੈ ਇਸੇ ਤਰ੍ਹਾਂ ਸੱਚਾ ਸਿੱਖ ਵੀ ਆਪਣੇ ਗੁਰੂ ਅੱਗੇ ਫਰਿਆਦ ਕਰਦਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਮੈਂ ਪਾਪੀ ਹਾਂ ਤੂੰ ਪਾਪ ਖੰਡਣ ਹੈ ਮੈਂ ਅਪਗੁਣਾ ਦਾ ਭਰਿਆ ਹੋਇਆ ਹੈ ਤੂੰ ਅਪਗੁਣਾ ਨੂੰ ਮਾਫ ਕਰਨ ਵਾਲਾ ਹੈ ਮੈਂ ਬੰਧਨਾਂ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਬੱਧਾ ਹੋਇਆ ਹੈ ਤੂੰ ਮੁਕਤ ਕਰਨ ਵਾਲਾ ਹੈ ਬੰਧਨ ਤੋੜਨ ਵਾਲਾ ਹੈ ਜਸਟ ਲਾਈਕ ਅ ਸਿੱਖ ਪਰਸਨ ਮੇਕਸ ਅ ਰਿਕੁਐਸਟ ਐਂਡ ਪ੍ਰੇਸ to the doctor for his betterment in the same way a true disciple of the master always makes this prayer to his master he says that oh lord i am a sinner and you are the one who removes the sin i am bound in the karmas you are the one who who can make me free from the bond of the karmas i am deluded in the illusions and you are the one who will remove my illusion he pyare satguru je assi papa de pahad ikatthe na karde ਤੂੰ ਕੀ ਨੂੰ ਬਖਸ਼ਦਾ ਤੈਨੂੰ ਬਖਸ਼ਣਹਾਰ ਕੌਣ ਕਹਿੰਦਾ ਓ ਬਿਲਵਰ ਸਤਗੁਰੂ ਇਫ ਵੀ ਹੈਡ ਨਾਟ ਕਲੈਕਟਡ ਦ ਮਾਊਂਟੇਨਸ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਿੰਸ ਹੂਮ ਯੂ ਵੁਡ ਹੈਵ ਫਰਗਿਵਨ ਐਂਡ ਹਾਊ ਦੇ ਵੁਡ ਹੈਵ ਕਾਲਡ ਯੂ ਐਜ਼ ਦ ਫਰਗਿਵਰ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਿਨਰਸ ਤੋ ਸੱਚਾ ਸਿੱਖ ਸਦਾ ਹੀ ਆਪਦੇ ਗੁਰੂ ਦੇ ਅੱਗੇ ਨਿਮਰ ਹੋ ਕੇ ਰਹਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਆਜੇ ਹੋ ਕੇ ਰਹਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਪਤਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਮੇਰਾ ਗੁਰੂ ਜਿਹੜਾ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਕਰਨ ਕਾਰਨ ਹੈ ਸਮਰਥ ਹੈ ਔਰ ਉਹ ਦੀਨਾ ਦਾ ਦਿਆਲ ਹੈ ਇਸ ਵਾਸਤੇ ਕਹਿੰਦਾ ਜਦੋਂ ਤੂੰ ਦੀਨਾ ਤੇ ਦਿਆਲ ਹੈ ਤੇ ਮੇਰੇ ਜਿੰਨਾ ਦੀਨ ਹੋਰ ਕੌਣ ਹੈ ਸੋ ਅ ਟਰੂ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਆਲਵੇਸ ਰਿਮੇਨਸ ਹੰਬਲ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਸ ਰਿਮੇਨਸ ਸਮਾਲ ਇਨ ਫਰੰਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਐਂਡ ਹੀ ਆਲਵੇਸ ਸੇਸ ਥੈਟ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਦ ਵਨ ਹੂ ਆਰ ਮਰਸੀਫੁਲ ਟੂ ਦ ਪੂਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਐਂਡ ਇਫ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਕਾਲਡ ਐਜ਼ ਦ ਮਰਸੀਫੁਲ ਟੂ ਦ ਪੂਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਹੂ ਐਲਸ ਇਜ਼ देयर ਹੂ ਇਜ਼ ਪੂਅਰਰ ਥੈਨ ਮੀ so i am the poor one and you shower your grace upon me so thode age chota ja shabad
ਸੰਤਾਂ ਦੀ ਬਾਣੀ ਪੰਨਾ ਨੰਬਰ 175 ਪ੍ਰੀਤ ਲਗੀ ਤੁਮ ਨਾਮ ਕੀ ਪਾਲ ਬਿਸਰੇ